to talk to you about work we do in what Jonathan said, particularly evidence-based work. I am, in effect, a sort of evidence-based nerd. When people come to me with questions, I can be quite annoying because in my mind, I think, oh, what's the evidence for that? And when you go around a lot, people sort of give you all sorts of opinions, ways of doing things, see government policies, doing activities, and in the back you go, what's the evidence? I can be a bit of a nightmare at parties, and sometimes I have to keep my mouth shut because I think that could really annoy people. But what happens is I have a relationship now working with the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, and a partnership trying to look at particularly what we call academic investigations, looking at particular areas of healthcare where we think there's an interesting question and there are issues about the evidence that not only involve the products but also investigations around how did this evidence get there? How did we get to this situation? So one of the key things to, to think about, how many of you here participate in sport, exercise? Oh, quite a lot of you, that's 75, 80%. I participate in sports and some of the stuff I'm going to show you and you think when you go through, you may think about differently how you, when you actively participate in sport, what sort of training do you wear? What drinks do you take? How much water do you take? Even I'll show you about, do you watch your pee sometimes to see how accurate it is, the measure of your hydration? All these factors have some evidence underpinning them. And if you want after this, you can actually go and still get this program on iPlayer. And it's still available for about nine months. It was in July, and that's the journalist Shelley Joffrey. So I'll explain a narrative of how you get from a question right through to how you get to the evidence and the publications. Okay, so I'll start with this slide. This is an interesting slide. When I talk about products like Lucasade, all the older generation in the room will remember a product like this that was a sparkling energy drink with places lost energy. And I thought it was used by doctors and nurses in clinics and hospital nurses in homes and schools. What an amazing product. And I can remember when he was ill, he used to have a product called Lucasade in a brown bag. And he used to drink it, drink it. And then somebody said, well, you know, this is not good, actually, because there's an awful lot of sugar in this. So the first question is, when I got approached about this is, I got approached about some of these products on the right-hand side, these sports drinks. How did we get from there to there? How did we suddenly have a product here that was in a brown paper bag, and now suddenly these products, Lucasade Sports, are being used? How did we get from here, these are Roger Bannister's track shoes when he ran the four minute mile, to here? And how did we get from milk to these products like whey protein? And how much do they make a difference to us when we exercise? And I thought that was quite interesting. And so one of the things is, I, I, we've got to have a participation here. I thought I'd get some of this Lucasade sport. And I thought I'd ask Jonathan to have a little drink of it actually. Yeah. Have it So you see now, I've now made Jonathan, our president, he's now fast as <laughs> That means this college is going to be more dynamic, perform better, and if you keep drinking it, and I make, I, I weigh and I'll have a drink. But it's interesting, isn't it? These are, this is a specific claim that's made, faster, stronger, for longer. And so what we wanted to do, what we set out in this program was, when I got approached, I said, well, all these claims for the sports product, where did they come from? Where did the evidence come from? How do you get to make that? Because that's, you're supposed to, if you make an advertising claim, it's supposed to be based on some evidence. And if it's not, you can explain, and the Advertising Standards Authority should remove it. So the first question was asked, 
how do you go about this? And what I'm going to show you is what we ended up over a six month period. I'm going to talk you through, think about how some of these times it's difficult. Four linked publications we published all at the same time. And I show this because there was an awful lot of people involved in the department to try and answer this one question. So all these were published at the same time, exact same time as the program came out. And if you really want to do research and get stressed and be stressed about your research, work with TV and media. Because every deadline cannot be moved. So all of these papers in a deadline, and this is going in, have to come in at this time point. If they go a couple of hours later, you're then going to move all of the TV schedule. And so it all has to be done out. So all of these were worked on a lot of people who worked on them. And so I wanted to start with this first one. <coughs> what we wanted to do is think about it. I could just go and pick the worst product from them. Just say, I'll pick the worst product, show you this plane, and there's no evidence. And that would make me just as bad as the people who said, here's a product with great evidence. So what you want to do first is to try and be systematic in some way about how you get to some evidence. Now that takes me a bit of time riding around on my bike thinking, how do I do something that's systematic? How do I make it representative so I'm not cherry-picking? So to, ex to assess the quality of the evidence, what we did is, I actually did wanted to know what's the quality of the evidence, what's the size of the effect, and who does it apply to? These are the three questions I want to know about common sports products. And that's all you really want to know about any information. Is it Quality of evidence means, can you believe it? The size of the effect is, does it really make any difference to you when you perform sports? And does it apply to you, or is it just a professional athlete? And so this is what we did. Is to do this process, this is the flowchart of what we did. The first thing is I said I need a representative sample. So what I did is, and the team, is we went and bought 92 different magazines from WH Smith that all had some potential to contain adverts about exercise or sports. We went through them mag magazines and assessed 1,807 adverts. And from them 1,807, we got 615 sports adverts. We decided to exclude all the classifieds in the shots. And ended up with 50 foot. We had 235, and of the 235, 54 made a specific claim about performance enhancing. So you've got that, started, read through all the magazines, got rid of the shots, and ended up with 54 claims. And then we looked at, in the magazines, how many of them 54 claims had any evidence. And we found three references. But that didn't really ha help us, because I couldn't go on TV and say, well, we've got three references and 54 claims. That's not going to be very helpful. So what we did is a second stage. But what I'm trying to do is take a representative sample. These are the products that are presented to you in your advertised products in the magazine. We then went and took these 54 and went to the websites reviewed on the magazine adverts and then looked at the number of web pages. So for every single product we found, and one of them was Lucasafe, we then went to their website. And this was much more fruitful. That was a, then we looked at 1,035 web pages. And you can see the number of claims on the web is far greater, 431 claims. And actually, the good thing is, they do provide some evidence. Of the 431, 141 provided some references. Okay? So we've produced a system where what I've tried to say is, the stuff that's advertised to you, we've looked at it, found all the claims, and looked at the evidence. 
The first thing that happened is, half of that evidence couldn't even be looked at. For instance, some of them were non-existent articles. Six of the articles didn't even exist. Some were books without clinical studies. Some were non-human studies. Conference abstracts without data. An online survey without available data. We also, in the timeline of this, to make it really sort of ability to be fair, we contacted manufacturers, and I'll come back to that, but out of all the manufacturers, we got five studies. So we ended up with a database of 74 studies. And it's interesting, I put this slide up because this is actually on the programme. When, when I first started this, this programme, I had 100 magazines, and I had hundreds of adverts, and I had a real problem. I had to go to the BMJ in five days to meet BMJ and Panorama. And I had all these sheets of paper in my basement in where I, my office. And I had to employ my children to actually, I gave them £10 each day to actually laminate them all for me and punch them and put them all into files for me. So one of the things is you've got to re bring everybody sometimes into resource. And they did a great job actually. They did hundreds of these for me. <laughs> and that was the start of actually product. So these are some of the men's health. There's, here's the Lucasade Sport one. Okay. So of the 74, so imagine we've now got down to the 74 references. This is all the references that are supplied to you as a public about sports products. And of them references, what was the quality? Well, half of them don't even have a control group. Half of them weren't randomised. So actually, by the time we get down to this, and I come down this study, I can pick any bit of this and say, all of these were so poor, most of them didn't even re report an actual sporting outcome. They used what we call a surrogate, and I'll come back to that. We actually only found three studies that we would consider of high quality that presented to the public. And I, that was the first day I just thought, this is really odd. We really are, there's loads of this stuff around, and this is what we present to you, but actually nobody really reads to anybody. And they know you don't need it, so they bury it somewhere, and half of it is, I told you, can't be re reviewed. And of the half that can, only three out of 74 are any good. So that was really poor. And that was the first thing I just said, there is no clear evidence. We don't know who it applies to, and the quality of it is actually very poor. And that was the conclusion we got. It's a not sufficient quality to inform the public about the benefits and harms of sports products. So that's one. One conclusion. Very poor. And, you know, let's look at some of them. This is Maximum. Any, any, any bodybuilders here or go down the gym? Some of these things. So this is Maximum. Now here's some of the claims that when you go on the website says. Allows damaged muscles to repair and recover fast. Now I work as a GP, I don't know if there's any clinicians here or if I could get a product that actually could repair and recover damaged muscles, can you think of the implications of that in healthcare? It's amazing. <laughs> Anybody who comes in with a sprained ankle, I'd be given it. Anybody with a stroke, we'd be given it. Strengthen your body's natural defences. So you can read that there are a number of these, and all of these <coughs> should be underpinned by evidence. So here's another one, barefoot. So we also looked at trainers. And barefoot, I don't know if anybody's heard of the barefoot trainers and the, the shoes. So there, there are the difference between the ones with the arches, 
you know, the ones that we've all, the Nike ones for 20 years, we're now being told they're a complete waste of time and actually should go back to the Roger Bannister ones, but actually there's a whole market for them of, of trainers. And look at what these do. I like this one. In fact, they open your chest and make it easier to breathe. <laughs> they're more efficient, smaller, shorter strides, and they conserve energy. So we should surely all wear these because you run better, stride efficiently. But this is an interesting one. When we looked at it, in fact, the evidence wasn't even in the trainers group. The evidence compared the foot impact of your heel to your foot and just said there may be reduced impact. It's a smoother impact on the curve than if you land on your heel. They actually didn't use the trainers. So, and so there is some interesting idea that running with no shoes may be better than nothing, but it certainly doesn't underpin the trainers that they're marketing. And here's another one, this one I like. So, Jamaica is home to the fastest man on the planet. Fact, it's also a fact Usain Bolt sets his 9.58 second record wearing humour. This is no coincidence. <laughs> If I put them trainers on, I'm not going to run 9.58, am I? And we even contacted them. They've got a research institute in Jamaica that's paid for. Uh, they have all these things in technology they ever track. Not a piece of research, anything for what Puma did and what they said they, they could achieve. But it's interesting. What you would want to know is in trainers, do they make a difference to you? Anybody here ever been and thought, well, I'm going to buy a fancy pair of trainers because it may, because when I go running, my feet hurt. When I go running, my feet hurt, my calves hurt, everything hurts. And after about 400 metres, I'm like, gosh, I'm going to go back to the bike. And I've always thought, should I go and buy a fancy pair of trainers? Anybody done that? Yeah, you've done that. And, and some people may even go for one of these where you can go and have your foot aligned, the pronation and arches. And, and there is this interesting idea that all of this helps you. And you would want to know that. But actually, the people who really wanted to know this was the military. Because they were really interested. We've got all these people out in Iraq, wherever. We want to reduce the number of injuries. Should we have fancy trainers with their active? And it's interesting. When you ask a question about anything, there is always some evidence somewhere. There's always evidence for something. Any question somebody asks you, there will be a piece of evidence. And this is a randomized controlled trial in the army in the US of about 715, 16 people in the intervention group who provided motion control, stability or cushion shoes for plantar shapes. And then down here, the, the other bit just got a normal pair of stability shoes. So these people had the trainers, they had the excessive pronation, they fitted the plantar arches, did all that. And they looked at it and it demonstrated that it made no difference whatsoever, actually. So the program, when you see it, the trainers, buy a pair of trainers, so I said, buy a pair of trainers if you think it looks good, if you're younger and it makes you look flash, but actually buy something that's comfortable because it's going to have no effect on your injury, not affect any performance or recovery whatsoever. Okay, so there's another, and Powerade, these are Powerade were, when we were doing this program about six weeks before, this is interesting, I went to a meeting at the BMJ again in London, and we had all the BBC people there with their lawyers. And they said to me at this point, you do realise we're taking we, we're about to take on Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and GSK here. Are you sure you know what you're on about? <laughs> That's quite worrying. So one of the things is when you're in the media though, if you ever get an opportunity to be in the media, what's really interesting is it's very easy 
And it's much easier if you just stick to what you know and what the evidence says. And don't get into the realms of opinion. So our power A is misleading people. Our power A is rubbish. Actually, no, this is what their evidence says. So that's a, a key message. And stick to the evidence. Don't go into then you're all right. But this is interesting, you see. So these people actually tell you, and there are guidelines for how much you should drink. An average adult aged 16 years would need to consume 720 mils of Powerade energy, equivalent to 1.5 times 500 mil bottles, or two 375 mil bottles of Powerade energy, in advance of intense physical activity. That's the guideline of what you should do. How many people here say go running or jogging or do exercise? When you do that, how many of you, so about half in the room, how many of you actually take a drink with you, water or, or, or an energy drink? Do you take water? A few of you take water. When you go to the gym, you see lots of people with drinks these days, don't you? When you go down and watch on the streets, you see people running with bottles of water, don't you? And so this issue of drinking, this sort of stuff, really is quite interesting. In what Perrin says, our aim is that every penny we spend on research, every technology we develop, Every product we create will help perform to you your best. That's how they look after you. Yet when we looked at their 26 studies, not one of them used a significant sports outcome to prove a product. And by significant sports outcome, we took that to mean, what if you want to take a product and actually give it people in a marathon? Or in an actual football match? Or actually out there? As opposed to into a laboratory where you may be on some bike and it's artificial. And actually, we were astounded that nobody's actually, and it's not difficult to do these trials. Because if you wanted to do a trial in a marathon, it's over within one day. We've run trials that go on for four or five years when we want the outcome. So we could, and there are 25,000 people there that day. So if you wanted to run and see if this was any good, you could do it in one day, and you could have an awful lot of people to recruit. So, one of the things is, and, um, so this was a claim, and one of the things is when we wrote to one of the manufacturers, and it was Lucas Hayes wrote to many, and they were actually pretty compliant actually. But what they did is on the program they thought this is the sort of thing they just said, "Here's our list of 176 studies, six, six or eight weeks before the program. We have the best science. Here's our list of 176." And it just went on and on. And, and we had meetings around these programs. They said, "What's going to happen here?" He said, "Well, what's going to happen is we're going to go on the TV. You're going to go on the program." And then you're going to go, wheel out their GSK person who's going to say, well, it doesn't matter, we've got 176 studies. And they're all scientifically proven, they're all peer-reviewed, and they're amazing. And these people just didn't look at them. And at that point, it was, a, it was about Friday, I felt very depressed. <laughs> because I realised we were going to have to look at all these studies. <laughs> and we only had six weeks. And that was actually, at the time, I was just like, this is actually destroying me, but we've got to do it, because there's no option, we're going to look stupid. And so we had a meeting, and again, I had to get a number of people to work on it, and we looked at what studies we could get. So here, so by the time we get to the program, here's what happened. We looked at them, and of these 176 studies, and GSK said, over 40 years of research experience and 85 peer-reviewed studies have supported the development of Lucasade Sport, and all our claims are based on scientific evidence that have been reviewed and substantiated by the European Food Safety Authority. So if I'm, we haven't looked at them, so you've got to, when you do this type of work, this is the you've got to preempt and think, well, what's going to happen? 
When we present this in the media, what we're going to look like. And if we hadn't looked at these studies, we'd have looked stupid. It would have been the end of the story. But actually, we was able to come back and I actually ended up on, on BBC 24. And at one point, I, I think I might have said, have you actually read these stories? Because have you read these papers? Because if you just think, if you are the person in charge of this, just when I speak now, watch. If you're in charge, you're the research product manager for this product. So this is what you did. Studies testing endurance athletes such as marathon or long distance runners have proven that the running speed is higher over the course of an event among those drinking lucasate sport compared to those solely drinking water. Have another drink if you want there, Jonathan. You've been out there ready. So let's start with some of the research. This is the influence of carbohydrate electrolyte drinks on marathon running performance. So at least we had it in a study, but it was in a laboratory. So we took a grand number of seven people. <laughs> And they completed three 42 kilometers, so that's a marathon treadmill time trial, following a 12-hour overnight fast. And this is what they concluded. It is not clear why the ingestion of the SNAS 6.9% CHO solution was not equally effective in maintaining running speed after the first 25 kilometers of the run. So that's what 7% of that is sugar. That's what the CHO is. Differences in concentration and composition, taste, and flavor between the two drinks, that's water and the orange drink, could have contributed in some way to the difference in performance, or rather the lack of difference in performance. So I'm like, their stuff is saying it doesn't work. Okay, here's another one. Double-blind carbohydrate ingestion does not improve exercise duration in warm humid conditions, resulting when participants knew the capsule concept but not in the double-blind condition. So when I come back to these important evidence-based bits, remember I talked about the quality of it before. When you didn't do the important quality, like blind people, so this is the orange drink, the sports drink, and this is the water, you try to make them taste the same, look the same, and give them you blind it, you re remove the effect completely. So there's a real issue here, and it is true. If you want to improve your performance, there is something about taste, colour that will make you run faster. And that's really important to know because it will get a, a, a speed up just because of that alone. This one in particular, this is a one that happens a lot. So here we are back at the magic number seven. You see these are very large studies. Now what these people did is have a fast for 10 hours. So imagine the night before you have a fast, you come to the laboratory where they've got the gym and then you do a 15 minutes warm up. You still have nothing to eat, no breakfast. And then you do 75 minutes of exercise at about 80% of your VO2 max on a bike. So you've done two hours of exercise. You've still not had anything to eat, have you? Okay? And in one group, you're allowed some sugar. <laughs> and in the other group, you're allowed water with no sugar. And hey, bingo, what you do at the end of the experiment then is, you then say, right, now what we're going to do is make you run to exhaustion. And at the end of that, after 11 and a half hours, if you've not eaten at all, versus you give somebody some sugar, you'll run about 2.2 minutes longer to exhaustion. That will present it as 33% increase in performance. The next time you see 30... Now I'll come back to why this fasting is really quite interesting. But it's... it's I'll show you. If you actually make people carbohydrate low, you negate all the effects of sugar for a marathon. 
because you've got the carbohydrate mud, but you starve people. And so if you're going to run the London Marathon, and you turn up on the day, you've had no breakfast, and you get there, you're late, and you're running in, yes, have some sugar, have the drink. But if you're there, carbohydrate loaded and ready, actually, this is telling you that the performance is, is it doesn't make a difference. Then it was interesting, I looked, at it, I looked at the stuff and it said, well, look, there is no effect of these drinks in the cold. In a cold environment, mean temperature 10 degrees C. So, think about it. You watch these footballers, all the football season, all that Gatorade, Lucasade everywhere, about 10 degrees C or lower, so they don't work. They don't actually work when it's too cold. Because you don't, you don't sweat, you don't perspire, and you actually, and I'll come back to why you just do not need in a two hour session any sugar whatsoever to increase your performance. Now, the other thing is, in the heat, when it's really hot, 30 degrees, you get into problems. Because the problem is, as you put the solution up, the, the sugar up, you can't actually digest it when it gets really hot. You need a lower sugar solution. You need more fluid, and lower it's the salt that becomes a problem. You can't get enough salt into this drink because it tastes too bad if you put too much salt. Anybody who's had dry like paralyte will say you're not going to sell a lot of that. <laughs> There's actually only trace of the salt. In, in there, when you read it, this is what they say, though, and I'll, it, it's really interesting this. When you read this, it just says trace of salt. You can only read it, it's about that salt, you can hardly see it, what the content. So you can't get enough salt. So you certainly don't need sugar when it's a hot day. You ever think when you're in the Tour de France when they put it over their head what it would feel like, the sugary water when it's a really hot day? It feels terrible, doesn't it? Okay, and then we come to one of the pieces of research that was in there which is actually in marathon runners, that said there are some factors that really do improve your performance. One of them is gender. So men run faster than women. Happy with that? Body size has, a, has an important factor. And training. <laughs> <laughs> and the other important one is pre-race day carbohydrate intake can significantly independently influence marathon running performance. That means this whole premise of carbohydrate load. When you train, what happens is you store more carbohydrates in your legs in the form of glycogen. So these, the more you train, that's what you do. And that's what you use when you start to exercise. And when you get fitter, you actually mobilize fat stores. And so actually having the carbohydrate when you get to the time of the race, which means you were better about four hours before, you will have your carbohydrates loaded. So that works, that's important. But at no point was there any mention in here that having this stuff throughout the marathon in, impacts on your performance. How are we doing for time? Are we on? Okay. Now does this all matter? Does this really matter? So what? Look, look. This is a picture of what it looks like in the supermarket on Cowley Road. And that's only about half of it. This is just the energy drinks. If I go along here, we've got the sports drinks, and this is another one. And next time you go to a supermarket, just look at how much you buy in this stuff. It's actually, it's taken, it's like, like I know alcohol's taken two shelves, but two, <laughs> two, it's getting up to a half an aisle. And then you've got people like this, Wayne Rooney, who's he trying to attract in this marketing? Is he attracting us? Or is he attracting this guy down here? Is this guy, this child here, influenced by this guy and this guy, or, or is this really attractive to me? So there's a marketing issue. 
Now, not only is that marketing, part of the investigation that was went on the BMJ, GSK like that, had a schools outreach program. And we're going into schools to teach them about science and sport. And this is their program. And their events, and they're going to provide free resources. Okay, you say. But let's look at what they're doing. One lesson looks at osmosis and water. During intense exercise, heavy sweating removes water and salts from the body. If large quantities of water alone are consumed, this will dilute the normal concentration of sugar that ions into blood and tissues. Water will enter by osmosis and stop the muscles, nerves, and the brain from working properly. In extreme cases, water intoxication can turn and may lead to death, it says. Students are then asked which drinks are closest to being isotonic and whether sports drinks justify their prices. That's the lesson. That's what makes me pretty angry, actually. When we read that, I'm like, bloody hell. Is this what really is going on in the world? So you can see there's a whole pervasion of what comes into our life. And before we know it, it's, this is in our life and in our face. And it's in our schools. Not supposed to be marketed to under 16. They did actually come back and then pick up their own tape and say, we will modify our class activity to suit because we realise there may be a slight problem with it. But it's interesting, so here's, it's interesting, I'm going to carry on this theme because this fluid thing is really interesting. I'm just going to, another thing we did is we then had some of these claims that we just thought so ridiculous, we have to go and do more work on them. Some of them, and so here's three of them, we had about six, but here's one. This drinking water and fluid, let's just look at the water aspect. This idea of you pre-hydrate, keep yourself hydrated. You've seen that message, you must be hydrated. If you're not hydrated, you're tired, your performance goes down. They're useless. Look my skin, it's an old. And this one is compression socks. Wear them, they're good for you to see older people. And this one actually is not my toilet. Is this is actually have you ever looked at your urine and thought, hmm, am I hydrated or not? They're actually guidelines for athletes and sports people about whether you're hydrated based on your urine. So this is Gatorade. This is what Gatorade says. They say your brain may not know a lot, but it doesn't know when your body is first. Let me tell you, it does. We've, we've had human evolution has got us to this point to be able to say, I don't need a drink at the Tesco. I could go and seek out water when I was thirsty. And this is really interesting because when you look at it, this is what's happening at these marathons. Look at the stuff, there's loads of it, isn't there? And so, um, how much are, they're handing out hundreds of thousands of these bottles to these marathons. And let me tell you, some of this stuff, actually, I'm going to show you, is the importance of this in marathon running is really interesting. Again, there's evidence for everything. Hyponatremia among runners in the Boston Marathon. Okay, so our bodies are designed to have a blood system that has fluid inside it, and in there, one of the regulators of our fluid is salt. And salt gives you homeostatic, and there's a certain level of salt about 135 millimoles to about 145, that's about right, that keeps you normally in balance. And if you get dehydrated, your salt will go up. The water content goes down, your salt content goes up, but what will happen is you will then get thirsty. So the first symptom of dehydration is thirst. It's not tired, it's not all that, it's thirsty. However, the other way is if you drink lots of sodium, water, or even these products, your sodium will go down. The amount of water will go up, 
sodium comes out. And below 135, you have something called hyponatremia. Now, hyponatremia doesn't make you thirsty. And actually, hyponatremia is actually dangerous and can be life-threatening. Okay, so these people looked at 500 people, 488 people who'd finished the Boston Marathon and measured their blood and their solids and looked at what the level of sodium was at the end of the competition. This line here is the weight change. You may not be able to see this broadcast. This is people who've lost 5 to 2.1 kilograms in the race. Okay? 2 to 1.1. One, and this is the zero line, and then you go all the way up here to some people have gained three to 4.9 kilos in the race. Okay. These people had a 70% chance of risk of hyponatremia and a 30% chance of severe hyponatremia. Now, in the last, and I might just, it's about the last 10 years, maybe a bit longer, 16 people have died in marathons from hyponatremia. I've just dropped out of this. Because once you get it, you're in deep trouble. It, none of the people that you ever see walking over the line and collapsing are dehydrated. Anybody who says that to you doesn't know what they're on about. They're more likely to collapse because they have exercise associated hypotension. You're running along, you stop, and your blood drops to your feet, you fall over. And actually eat your They're fine. Nobody has died from dehydration in a marathon yet. And so this is really interesting stuff. And about, they did this in the London Marathon, about 8 to 10% of people in the London Marathon were hyponatremia. And when you see it, these people throwing water down them, they're actually not improving their performance. They're running and drinking to a marketing campaign. And this particular guy, Timothy Knott, who's wrote a book, which if you ever waterlogged, the serious problem of overhydration in endurance sport. And what actually happens in most sports, this is, this is Ironman triathlons. And again, it's, you, you can, this is body weight. And this is performance. And actually, wherever you look, the more weight you put on, the worse your performance gets. The more you lose in actually. So most of the people, the fastest finishers in triathlons, are actually losing about 7.5% of their body weight. This is the most dehydrated athlete, and it's the same here, the fastest finishes. Minus 2%, minus 6%. It's the same in time trials. So actually, when you're in the Tour de France, when you go to your Tour de France and do the house de res, what you want to do is get rid of all the water on your bike, because a kilogram of water will be slowing you down for a start. What you certainly don't want to do is throw that inside you when you're near the end of the, of the race because you won't find it difficult to digest it. You'll have a kilo of water sloshing around in you. And so what it shows is that actually the idea that you should you keep hydrating yourself while exercising is absolute nonsense. In fact, you perform much better if you drink to your first. And I can say I know that people, if I had some coaches here who worked on this, have actually stopped their rowing teams in Oxford drinking so much while they're trying to exercise based on this. And when you go down, you'll see them all drinking. So actually, if you want to maximise your performance, you drink to first, and actually at the end of, end of any performance, you should have lost somewhere about 2 to 3% body weight, and you're still all right. And then that's actually more maximise your performance. So that was quite interesting when we looked at that, and I thought that was 
But then you've got this, this one I used to think was quite a good colour of urine that accurately affects hydration. And, and actually there are colour charts, so here you're normal, and here you're severely dehydrated. So this is you, when you've been out for your run, you, you, you do that, and then you, then you drink that. And it's still there and you keep drinking that, and that's how it works. And it turns out that actually when we looked at the evidence for this, in fact, it's not an accurate marker of dehydration. Number one is you have to be trained to do this. If you're not trained, it's useless. And if you are trained, there is only a small bit of evidence that your first morning urine will be any good. And so if you use one of these, you're more likely to end up here, overhydrated. Because the time of this to recover it will be dependent on a whole host of factors, temperature, how much exercise, how fit you are. So actually the colour of urine is actually a waste of time, yet that's all in the guidelines. And then finally, I'll finish with this one. Um, this is quite an interesting one, compression. Compression stockings, you'll see these, you can buy them down in the sports shops down there and you see these skins, don't you, these, where the skins are. I guess for people like us, it might hold the stomach in, but, um, but look, a locked-in feel that keeps your muscles fresh and your recovery time fast. Should you buy them? Should you not? And so this was interesting, when we looked at this one, is, in the general public, no evidence, may reduce muscle soreness if worn for 24 hours after an exercise session. <laughs> so you've got to keep them on for class the next day and right into the night. Somebody here might be wearing them and then take them still to dinner. Even in professionals, there was no evidence. Again, they had some, seems to be reduced if worn for 24 hours after exercise. This is all looked at every single study. That's it, about 25 here. And, but it's no better than other strategies, such as low-grade exercise or contrast bathing. So you see people getting the ice baths, or if your muscles are sore, and you just went out for a gentle job, that would do it for 24 hours. But what was interesting about them is there are adverse effects, including increased skin temperature, and thermoregulation problems, and reduced range of motion. So actually, most of the studies were done at about 10, 14 degrees C, but actually, most athletes will perform in summer when it's quite hot. So actually, you get a thermal you know, inability to reduce core temperature if you've got this all over you. So actually, not that helpful. So I thought, I think, I, I, the Telegraph summed it up for me. They said, sugar-laden sports drinks cancel out exercise gains. And they probably do for the high majority of you. Thank you very much. Thank you.